It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Wednesday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Doug Maurice, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird. And we're going to do a podcast today that I don't know that even that Nathan and Stephen are prepared to do to this extent, but I don't care. This is a two hour off season podcast that in June, you guys would be like, wow, that was a great Buckeye talk. But I want to do it today. So we're doing it. And we'll get to Michigan State later in the week. we got good Michigan State stuff planned. Here's my question. Is Garrett Wilson the perfect Ohio State football recruit? Who he was when they got him, the path he has taken while he's here, what he is going to be when he leaves. Is this recruiting perfection? And he's going to leave because he got asked the question. Uh, we have to, one of the reasons we're going to do it is because <laughs> Garrett Wilson held, I was going to say held court. He came into the meeting room on Tuesday. We got Ryan Day, then we got Zach Harrison, then we got Garrett Wilson. Sometimes after Ryan Day, we get an assistant. Sometimes we get a player or two. Today we got Garrett Wilson. And I said he was professor football. I love listening to Garrett Wilson talk football. It's awesome. He is super smart. He's super engaged. He breaks it down in a way that people who aren't in a film room on a college football team can understand. He's engaging. He's awesome. And he was talking about, so he was asked about, hey, like, do you, have you thought about the idea that this might be your last game? On senior day, because we'll talk about that later in the week. It's senior day. It's the last home game. Who might be back? Who might not be back? Who are the most difficult Buckeyes to replace for next year? That's going to be a big chunk of the Thursday pot. But he was like, yeah, I thought about it because he's an honest, real human. He's not coming back. He's a guaranteed first round pick, which is one of the other reasons I love professor football, Garrett Wilson. But he said his Ohio State career has been everything he wanted and more. And this is why I'm asking this question. I did a tiny bit of research. When you think about a five-star coming in and he is a five-star going out, right? Because you're, if you're projected as a first-round pick or a day one pick, day two, you know, whatever, maybe even day two pick, if you're a for top three rounds, I think you're still a five-star. And he's hit every benchmark along the way. And that includes 
real role as a freshman and then making a jump in year two. And I would say making another jump in year three and then going out as one of the best players in the country at your position. I looked at all the five-star recruits since Urban Meyer got here and I outlined who I think the guys are who are candidates to be like the perfect recruit, the perfect recruit path from A to Z. And Garrett Wilson is on that list. So I'm not asking you guys to go back and make your own list. We'll discuss some of the guys on my list. But let's just look at Garrett Wilson right now, because I am jacked up about Professor Football, which, by the way, if he wants to take that nickname into the NFL with him, as I also will spend the next six months trying to make him a Cleveland Brown, Professor Football is out there for you, because it's a little bit like it's not like nerdy professor. It's like X-Man professor guy. Who's the guy? Nathan, is he Professor X? Professor X? He could be Professor, du- Professor W. Professor Football. Not Johnny Football. Not like dude football. Professor Football. Do you know where I'm coming from, Nathan? Is it possible that when you think about what a program and a player is trying to accomplish from recruiting cycle to NFL draft that Garrett Wilson is as good as it gets? Yeah, I think it's an intriguing way to look at it. I think there are some things that are out of a player's control somewhat, such as award nominations slash wins, whether that's a Heisman Trophy, whether it's other things, even somewhat team accomplishment. Sometimes you can come here and do everything you were supposed to do. And a wide receiver, especially you're at a, I don't know that you can really lift a program on your shoulders and carry it somewhere else. So I think when you set those things aside, it's hard to imagine like, yeah, what what didn't work out here for both parties? He came here and was probably developed to the extent of his abilities. And he came here and gave Ohio State as much as they were willing to take from him as far as his abilities. So I think it's it's a I think you're probably right. I think it's as close to that perfect marriage as you can get in some ways. I mean, speaking of off-season projects, one of the things I wanted to do this off-season was, you know, I was ranked the top 10 most important recruits of the Ryan Day era, and he's on that list for me for one of the reasons I've already written about, but there's more to it than that. It's, for start, yeah, he's from a he's a five star who's basically walked the five star path as a national recruit who just so happens to also be from Ohio. That's the tie, but it's also his is more important because there's life before Garrett Wilson. And then there's life after Garrett Wilson in terms of the level of talent they were able to bring into that recruiting room. Because if you remember before him, Ohio state hadn't landed a five-star receiver since Jalen Marshall, and he didn't necessarily turn out to be that. I mean, everybody saw Garrett Wilson coming here and did what he did. And we're seeing what the wide receiver recruiting has been like since then. Doug, I just want to make sure, are you, are you, positing that he is an example of the perfect recruit or he is the perfect recruit? I would say he, and it is two separate questions. Yes. So I think Mm -hmm. he is an example of the perfect recruit because what I'm talking, if you think about a guy's trend line, right. Mm -hmm. Then I would say Garrett Wilson, first of all, you come in high because some people say, Oh, the perfect recruit is AJ Hawk. He was, you know, but that's not really it. Right. Because that's fun or whatever. But actually, perfect recruiting is go get a guy that is awesome, that everybody wants, win the battle for him and then 
make him even better than he was when he got here. But he's good to start. I would argue that the perfect recruit is not a three-star. It is a five-star. It is taking yes. the best player in the country and turning him into one of the best players as a, a future pro. But but a five-star that isn't like Paris Johnson or Jack Sawyer, too. I think it's a five-star that you had to win. I think that's right. And I almost think even the thing so, – so first of all, so he's an example of it. Right, right. That I think mm-hmm. if you drew up, if you ask Mark Pantoni, and I've talked with Pantoni a little bit about this, and I've said we're going to do a project on it, and he's interested in it. It's the idea of developing five stars. Because we've talked about it. Sometimes it's fun to talk about developing three stars, but making sure that supremely talented players maximize their abilities, and they don't bust, and they don't shrug your shoulder, eh, okay, that they're great and they stay great. That is a skill, a different kind of skill than digging out diamonds in the rough, Right. So I think he's an example of it. And I'll get, I'll run you through. I came up with, so there have been 28 five stars by 247 Sports Composite since 2012, since Urban Meyer got here. And I picked seven that I would say would qualify as meeting the threshold of an example of the perfect recruit, but a couple of them are still happening. So, so we'll go into yeah. those, okay, but cool. also I think yeah. specifically Garrett Wilson, <laughs> when you think about what he is, that I think to me, if you're going to write about Ohio state recruiting, it's like, it'd be one of those things. Okay. He's a national guy that they identify a weakness in a home state school and they go win a national battle. But he's one of these guys that has Ohio ties that has Ohio roots, which is so often what they do. So he checks both those boxes. He then also is somebody who sets a standard, sets a tone, establishes something, which is Stephen, what you were talking about, Mm -hmm. that he was kind of the first of his mold. And then you go to Julian Fleming, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Emeka Egbuka, G Scott, Mookie Cooper, Jaden Ballard, Marvin Harrison Jr., Caleb Burton, everybody else that follows, they're actually following the Garrett Wilson mold. And then he does come here because of opportunity, because of his own skill. He plays right away as a freshman. That's part of my requirement. So like I would say Jackson Smith and Jigba will not meet this threshold because just he didn't get to play that much last year. And yeah, he had 10 catches and he had the toe tap in the back of the end zone, but he didn't have an actual role the way Garrett Wilson had an actual role as a freshman. And then you stay on an upward arc the whole time. And then you go in the first round. So that's the thing. It's like, I think the personal story and you're a good dude, you're a good dude. The personal story, Stephen, of Garrett Wilson, I think checks a lot of boxes. And then the, how you would want high recruit X, five-star recruit X to develop play, get better, expand his role. I think he also checks those boxes. Yeah, to kind of the Nathan's point a little bit, I think there's two different doors you walk through with Ohio State. It's, you know, the Jack Sawyer, Paris Johnson, the perfect in-state recruit, and then there's the perfect national recruit. I think he is the epitome of that in a sense of, you know, we what you just explained. And more importantly, every year he got better. And so, so it just became – boring good until he does something that makes you go hmm let's relook at this real quick this is actually pretty impressive that there's no hiccups and the worst thing Garrett Wilson has done is Chris Olave didn't play so all of a sudden he had to do a little bit more and he was a sophomore in a Big Ten championship game right 
And the other part that the only really one of the only other things that got is a little bit jacked up about Garrett Wilson is that hey, he missed the game against Nebraska. Yeah. Right. But also Chris Olave came back and cut his cuss, cut Garrett Wilson's production this year by 25%. Because we're talking about, and I and I let's let's just do a little tangent oh, yeah. here because yeah. we don't we don't need to do 90 minutes only on Garrett Wilson, although I want to, Professor Football. Who, 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 who doesn't need to do 90 minutes on Garrett oh, Wilson? I know. I know it is. It is a Tuesday of a game week against a top 10 foe. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, there's other things to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Nathan, we're talking about a lot came up today. People are starting to do research. I get it. I don't know. I don't actually know how often any college team has had three 1000 yard receivers. Somebody's going to give, dig that up and we'll figure it out. Maybe we'll dig it up. I don't know. Yeah. They're digging that much. They're going to have three 1000 yard receivers. They already have one. If they did it, if Chris Olave would have gone to the NFL, as many people expected, would Jackson Smith and Jigba and Garrett Wilson, of course the third guy, whether it was a Mecca or Julian or Marvin or whatever they would have done, would have done something. But would it have been more like last year where Jamison Williams, who, by the way, is like, you know, setting the world on fire at Alabama, did virtually nothing in Ohio State's offense last year? To, not to put too fine of a point on it, if they're going to have three guys with a thousand, if Chris Olave went pro, would they have two guys with fifteen hundred each? I don't know about both guys having. Oh, maybe actually, I guess I shouldn't. <laughs> I shouldn't be so quick to dismiss it because it, it, you know JSN is on his own path there, even with this current setup. Really, um, I, I my suspicion is that you would have, we would not have seen necessarily just that third person locked down that maybe there would have been more people involved, but I think without question, Garrett Wilson would have more production. I don't know how you could possibly argue that he wouldn't. I think the, the ball would have ended up in his hands more. I think this team was just destined to have 3000 yard receivers. No, who would be the third Jamison Williams? Cause he'd still yeah. be here. He would still be here. Yeah. And I mean, what he's doing, I mean, he's not better than Chris. To the point Brian Hartline made up, if you're not better, if you're not as good as the guy in front of you, then we're not rotating. I don't know if I'm not going to sit here and just confidently say Julian Fleming or Marvin Harrison is as good as Jamison Williams right now. That's just I don't think that's the case. I think he's well, not. That's they're definitely right. Not. So I he'd have just had that spot. And I think the production would be exactly what we're looking at right now, because Jamison Williams just becomes your deep ball threat. That actually might be true. I wasn't thinking about Jameis Williams. I was like, well, it wouldn't be Julian Fleming and Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Buka wouldn't right. be just doing what Chris Olave is doing. But Jameis, think- the real the real victim of Chris Olave staying, yes. victim in quotes, oh, he was so victimized he had to go to Alabama and be a Balenikov <laughs> yeah. finalist and be a first-round pick. But it was Jameis and Williams here. The problem – I don't know how much of last year was just – COVID and they could trust Chris and Garrett and they didn't know anything else. So those two just got the brunk of things versus that's how they were going to, I think last year somebody would have emerged as the third guy at some point, whether it was Jamison Williams, because he just got more reps over the year or Jackson Smith, the Jigman would have just forced his way onto the field. I think last year is just a combination of you've got two really good guys in a room full of guys you aren't sure of and COVID. So none of these guys have any type of bank reps. So we can just, depend on these two guys for eight games. I think we would have seen some version of this last year in a normal situation. Cause you're well, not think, banking on two guys for 15 games like that. We have this much talent. I, you're right. That Jameson Williams would still be here. I think he would have been more productive than last year. It does make me wonder though, 
because he wasn't productive last year, how he would have been used still even within this offense, especially because the deep threat is used in a different way with C.J. Stroud than it was with Justin Fields. I think, well, one, I don't, I, I don't think you have a corner and a safety always following him around, which might open it up a little bit more because he's not Chris Olave yet and he doesn't have that reputation, which might actually, I don't, I'm not saying that he would have made this offense better. I'm just saying there might have been some opportunities especially earlier on in the season because they're so busy trying to take away Garrett that Jackson and Jamison just got a chance to really establish themselves because instead because that's part of why Jamison's been able to do this everybody's so worried about the outside that they just play zone and so Jackson just gets these opportunities if everybody's just looking at Garrett all game deep shot to Jamison Williams getting it to Jackson Smith the Jigba in the in the slot then eventually because Garrett Wilson is Garrett Wilson he breaks free Interesting. It does. And I, I guess I, I guess it shouldn't do this because nobody said that Joe Burrow shouldn't win the Heisman because he couldn't beat out Dwayne Haskins. But there is some mm-hmm. part of me in trying to evaluate receiver awards this year. It's like, OK, well, Jamison Williams is doing what he's doing. But at Ohio State, he couldn't beat out the three guys who are splitting a workload and therefore their numbers maybe aren't quite, you know, what what Jamison Williams is doing. It's it's. It's not, I guess it shouldn't factor in. Nathan, you're you're smirking and shaking your head. The idea of like, it, can Jamison Williams be the best receiver in the country if he would have been the fourth best receiver in Ohio State's receivers room? It, I mean, you know, you guys know how my brain works. And there's always a part of me that's reserved for, eh, maybe Ohio State didn't do that completely right. Like maybe Ohio State didn't evaluate him correctly and made a little mistake. So who would you, what would you have done? What do you think the right answer would have been? It's complicated because the, the the thing that pushed him out ultimately was not – so we're right that if Chris Olave had left, Jameson Williams would have stayed. But when Chris Olave stayed, it wasn't that that pushed Jameson Williams out. It was moving Garrett Wilson outside that pushed Jameson Williams out. And I can't really quibble with that decision. So if you don't think he's a slot guy, like you know what I'm saying? So it's like it's, it's more – Was yes, Garrett – was- was Garrett going back outside regardless? I, I think it's we've looked at this in a way of like Jackson was so good that it pushed Garrett back outside, which pushed Jamison Williams off the field instead of maybe Garrett was just going back outside anyway. And Jamison Williams was supposed to be the Z receiver. I mean, I don't I think my- J- Jamison can't play in the slot. Maybe you could have moved the lobby inside. But if, if, if they thought 100 percent for sure, no doubt about it, the three best receivers in the room were Olave, Wilson, and Jamison Williams, they would have made that work. Right, right. So yeah. I think I, I think to restate what I was saying, it's not necessarily that Ohio State did something wrong. I think it may just be more a fact. We have to remember sometimes that offenses are different and a guy fits one place in a way that he doesn't fit another place. I mean, Ohio State got pretty good run last year out of a running back who couldn't crack Oklahoma's backfield anymore. So sometimes it's just sometimes it's opportunity as much as it is you like failing out of someplace. Sometimes it is just, you know, a change of scenery puts you in a better position to have success. But I think if someone would have argued Trey Sermon is the best running back in the country, I might have, I might have factored in the fact that's like, well, well, 
He sure. wasn't the best running back in his own backfield at Oklahoma. So are we sure he's the best running back in the country? Yeah. He wasn't the best running back in Ohio State's backfield for half of last season. So. No, but that's what I'm saying. That's I'm not saying Jamison Williams isn't good. I'm saying when I'm voting for the Boletnikoff Award, and I'm trying you to have decide more knowledge is, he, in the op- yeah. is he one of the three best receivers in the country, and you're voting Jamison Williams ahead of Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, and it's like, well, you know that he left because he couldn't get past them, right? But now he's better than them, and I'm going to vote. When I'm thinking about the very, very best guys in the country, I'm going to vote for him because, like, New Mexico State's defense stinks. You know what I mean? Like, I don't like that. Or because John Mechie and Slade Bolden or whoever the other two receivers on the field with Jamison Williams are, aren't as good as Jackson Smith and Jigba and Chris Olave, and that's bringing down Garrett Wilson's numbers. Like, I can't help but think about that at least a little bit if I'm talking about the very, very best in the whole country. You have this burden of knowledge of knowing where Jamison Williams comes from. Thank and, you. I don't even think okay. you have to make it specific. I have a burden of knowledge and I <laughs> okay. carry it around every day. Fuck. <laughs> so I anyway, so anyway, that's so because you know that information, because you know, he wasn't, the, he was the fourth best player in this room. It skews the way you have to look at this. And also for the record, um, he has one more receiving yard than Jamison Williams. Well, Jamison Williams, ha- I mean, no, no, no. he ha- Jamison Williams has one more receiving yard than Jackson Smith, the Jigba, and Jackson has eight more catches. So it's not, you know, like they're not. Jamison Williams didn't get freed up to go have a two thousand yard see receiving year here. It's just Ohio State's still throwing the ball around at an immaculate level right now. I mean, Jamison Williams is one of the ten Belichick semifinalists yeah. and and Chris as is Chris Olave but Jackson Smith and Jigba and Garrett Wilson aren't right so again th- this is I was talking with somebody about this today it's like the conversation that you have to try to have in anointing people the best in the country whether that's for individual awards or for all American teams or whatever we have to be able to intelligently discuss the idea that you can't just automatically penalize the guys who have better teammates and lower stats mm-hmm. You, you have to at least have a conversation. And if you're just a guy, you know, a person in your living room, fill it, checking a box on a ballot. I mean, I, right. I mean, I've done that myself. I don't know. I don't know the ins and outs of the old Miss receiver room. I don't know the ins and outs of the Boston College receiver room. So I get it if you're just checking a box. But if you're having a conversation, I know some of the All-American committees you have conversations. You have to go to that next level. And it can't just be penalizing guys where they spread the wealth because there's a lot of good players, because you're going to eliminate a lot of good players from consideration for national awards. Not that we haven't done that for a hundred years as dumb sports writers. All right, we'll take a quick break, come back. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about something other than Garrett Wilson, but maybe not next to Buckeye Talk. Try the text at 614-350-3315. Text subscriber numbers keep going up. I mean, for real, if you did it for a month now, it would take you through the Michigan game, the Big Ten championship game. Well, you get a two-week free trial. If you did it now, you'd at least like basically get through that. Then you could pay for a month. Just pay them for a month. And you'd get through like the final playoff rankings or whatever, and then you can get in. We're going to be right in all December, talking, texting, debating, doing surveys. So uh, you get your bang for the buck. 
Well, if you did it for two months, you gave it to yourself as an early Christmas present for eight bucks to get a two week free trial. And you get, so you get like 10 weeks of stuff for eight bucks. That would basically take you through the end of the year almost, right? I mean, like just take it through the end of the season. If you have to pay another month, 12 bucks through the end of the season, treat yourself. 614-350-3315, 12 bucks. Don't go to Chipotle tonight. What do I want? I want the, the rice, the chicken, maybe carnitas, maybe double meat, cheese, guac, right? Whatever. I can get that. Or I can get little Doug, Nathan, and Steven for the rest of the season. I don't know. One burrito. One burrito for the rest of the year. 614-350-3315. Are we worth one burrito for the rest of a football season in which Ohio State's chasing a national championship? Ask yourself that question, Nathan. Are we worth a burrito? I'm obviously biased. I think we're worth at least one burrito. I, you know, and I, you don't, you don't have to sacrifice burritos. If you eat a lot of burritos, just sacrifice the extra queso or guac mm-hmm. that you're paying for. Cause the, the Chipotle queso is not, it's not their finest hour. Guac is good. I'm not a big fan of the, the, the Chipotle queso. I will say the last two times I've gone to my friendly neighborhood, Chipotle, they have been out of lettuce and that's like such a throwaway ingredient in some ways. It's just a, like a pot. It's just a pile of lettuce that they have there. But I feel like it's such a crucial ingredient. Like mm. if it and if because you got to have some kind of contrast in the burrito for me from a texture standpoint. So it's not all just a big sludgy mess in there. I, so I, I, I would encourage them to I know supply chain is an issue right now. But to all of you out there who run Chipotle's. I know we have a lot of Chipotle managers in our audience. Just just think a little bit ahead on the lettuce situation. If we do have a Chipotle manager in the audience, I'd love to have you on the podcast sometime. I would love to talk about the ins and outs of fast casual restaurants. Two things. I, I think the lettuce is kind of like maybe like the champions post or the betting line post, the stuff that we put up on a weekly basis that you've just got to put up because people, because it helps the whole product, right? It's not the most important thing, but it helps the whole product. And the other thing was, I was convinced you were going to say, are we worth a burrito? And you said, I am biased. I love burritos. So no, I would take the burrito <laughs> over the text. I'll say this. We're definitely worth more than a Chipotle burrito. Oh, please, that's just yeah. slander. If, now, if you're talking about Moe's, listen, I, I understand Moe's is good, but you can sacrifice one Moe's burrito. Chipotle sucks. Chipotle hasn't been good since I was a senior in high school. I'm actually getting Chipotle tonight for the first time in like a very long time. So I'm very curious to see how that goes. So we'll, 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 we'll go, we'll come back with reports. You know what? I'll text how it went. How about that? How about that for your burrito texting crossover? Well, no one's going to hear this until tomorrow. So a text that they get tonight is going to be really out of the blue. (laughs) Just so you guys know, comes in at 730. What are we doing? It's the middle of the playoff show. They think we're texting about where Ohio State's ranked, and it's like, Doug's burrito is pretty good. Okay, so here's my list. I got a list. 28 five stars since 2012, and that's through the 2021 class. So it's 10 years, and then C.J. Hicks is the five-star so far in 2022. Uh, I said 28 in 10 years. I really would say, I really would say, of those 28 five-stars, there is really only one actual miss so far, which is pretty good, even when you're talking about five stars. But 10 years of five-star recruits, 
only one actual just did not really help Ohio State football at all. You guys want to throw the name out there? Tyreek Johnson. Tyreek Johnson. That's the only one. Here's the list. Five stars according to the 247 composite ranking. 2012, Adolphus Washington and Noah Spence. Both productive players. Noah Spence had an off-field issue that led him to leave Ohio State, but while he was here, he was a good player. Adolphus Washington started on a national championship team. 2013 class, Jalen Marshall, big contributor for 14 and 15. Von Bell, starter on a national championship team, second-round pick. 2014, Raekwon Millen, co-starter for a national championship team as a freshman. Very, very productive player for three years. Did you call him Raekwon Millen? Is that like the new Marvison Harrison? Did I say I didn't say McMillan? I, I didn't it, say. Maybe it slipped right past me. Uh, Raekwon McMillanson. By the way, I mean, just reintroducing Jameson Williams into this podcast is just ruinous <laughs> for me. I thought I was done with that. Jameson Williamson and Marvison Harrison. 2015, Justin Hilliard. We know, we know the medical issues, but the guy came around at the end of his career to be a, a productive yeah. player. So not a miss, not what you would hope for and expect out of a five-star, but kind of beyond its, not even kind of, beyond his control. The injuries ruined him, and then he became a good player. 2016, Nick Bosa, of course. 2017, Wyatt Davis, yes. Sean Wade, yes. Baron Browning, yes. Jeff Okuda, yes. Chase Young, yes. We've documented that. Core of a, of a playoff team in 19. 2018 class, Tyreek Johnson, the miss. Teron Vincent, like not a miss, but kind of plugging along as a part, as a piece on the defensive line, but certainly has started and has helped Ohio State. Not like a five-star, but I wouldn't like call a it a miss. Soft Justin Hilliard right and, now. And then some medical a, stuff. Yeah. yeah, he missed was, a whole year because he had his arm in a thing. Yeah, it's like, is he soft Justin Hilliard or is he like 10% more than Justin Hilliard? But he's somewhere in that yeah. in that range. Yeah. He's on the Hilliard scale. Nicholas Petit-Frere, of course. Harry Miller, then, so those are the 18 guys. Harry Miller in 19 started in year two, started, mm -hmm. and now is MIA, and we'll have to see what his career looks like after this. But even for whatever reason. He was reason, on the right path as a five-star who had second stringer in year one, starter in year two, and it looked yes. like he was ready to take off this year before whatever injury he's been dealing with has basically knocked out this year. And, but even if for some reason he never played another down of Ohio State football, which we have no reason to expect, he would be far surpassing what like Tyreek Johnson did, right? So like not, not a, I mean, he started for a whole year. Uh, Garrett Wilson, of course, Zach Harrison, of course. Those are your guys in 19, only three, but they all hit. 2020, Jackson Smith and Jigba, of course. Paris Johnson, of course. Julian Fleming is interesting. And again, also dealing with some medical stuff. But if this doesn't, like if he doesn't have a, 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 a role that matters next year, I, I think he would maybe become the second miss. Because he really so far, not his fault, A, blocked, B, injured. But if he gets out of here without being a starter next year, without being a regular part of the receiver rotation, I mean, he was the number one receiver in the country. So, I mean, I'm not he, trying to put any pressure on the guy, but it hasn't really – he hasn't been very productive yet. No, he was like the fifth highest rated recruit they'd ever signed. There was, that was a pretty big deal when they got him. Um, I know, once again, 
I mean, this is a po- off-season pod we're doing in the middle of the season, so I'll bring up more off-season stuff. I think he is the epitome of the Marshawn Lattimore Award. If mm. like he pops next year, like I mean, we keep at, we've asked about him every single year, and so he's hurt. We promise he's good. He's just hurt. We promise he's good. He gets hurt. So I mean, there's opportunity next year. So if he comes out next year and him and Jackson are the thousand yard, I mean, we just we are just the thousand yard receivers and just awesome, and he turns himself into a first rounder. He's the Marshawn times 10 because he's a five-star recruit. Marshawn was borderline five. Borderline. But I, right. but I get what you're saying. Uh, if I had to rank right now, if you had to rank, let's, we're going to do tangents because we're not, we don't have to just do gear. Right, right now. And we're going to do some guessing about next year on the Big Thursday pod. Rank Ohio State's top three receivers by receiving yardage in 2022 right now um, i would say one is jackson smith and jigba and my number two right now would be a mecca i think mine would also because of just what he can do after a catch and that's maybe thinking that jackson goes outside and a mecca slides in and jackson is like garrett of this year and Emeka is like Jackson of this year. And then it's, is Julian Fleming, Chris Olave. So those would be my guess at the three starting receivers, but my one, two, three would be Jackson, Emeka, Julian. Um, I don't, I think there's a world where the guy who leads the team in receptions, who leads the team in yards, who leads the team in touchdowns might be three different people. Um, so I'll say yards is a Mecca, but I white. I might say receptions is Jackson and I think touchdowns might be Julian. Which would kind of fit like almost what's happening now. Right. Yeah. Which before Jackson decided to go nuclear for a game. Yeah. That's exactly what it was. But it's really like, I think it might be more of a four team, four guy rotation next year too, or four guy situation. I don't know if you would use the word rotation, but I would, I would, I don't know that I think right now that Julian Fleming has a, is projected for a much more significant role than Marvin Harrison Jr. is right now. I'll say this. Mecca had been doing, had been repping at outside when Julian was hurt. Julian comes back and that's the guy they picked to start. And then they rotated him with Marvin. If that matters at all for where the hierarchy is with those three guys that Julian and Marvin, when they absolutely needed somebody to play, they were getting meaningful snaps while Mecca wasn't. That's interesting. But but I well, also they, yeah. see why Emeka wouldn't be your first choice outside that he was kind of out there if they needed dudes while yeah. Julian was hurt, that he's probably just a little less natural out there. And he seems to be a natural fit in the slot. Yeah, it'll be an interesting, uh, but, but it'll be an interesting, an interesting mix uh, for sure. As guys try to fight it out next year. All right. So that was Julian Fleming. Um, he and Paris and Jackson were the guys in 2020. Then 2021 Kyle McCord, which we just, I mean, how do you, I mean, right. Who, we quarterback. Don't know. who knows? <laughs> um, although actually he's no, but he, yeah, no, he is. He's 2021. Trevion Henderson, which, okay. Trevion Henderson, Donovan Jackson, Emeka Buka, Jack Sawyer, JT Tuimaloao and Quinn Ewers. So like, what is, uh, I mean, it's ridiculous, right? I mean, all I mean, these guys yeah. right now, but I would say right now. So here's, here's the list of guys that I put under my, Candidates for the perfect five-star arc. 
Von Bell, because Von Bell was kind of in a backup role as a true freshman, and then a guy got hurt, and then everybody is waiting for him to play, and we thought he should have played earlier. Then they finally put him in in the, in the Orange Bowl, and he had like a really important interception in the Orange Bowl and mm-hmm. was like, wow, yeah, that guy's got something. And then the next year he started for a national championship team, and then the next year he started for a team that probably should have repeated as national champions, and then he was a second-round pick. So, like, it is – it's pretty close to what you're looking for. 2016, Nick Bosa. Nick Bosa comes in, like, and actually, probably I have to take him off, actually, because of the injury, because it started that way. 2016, it's like he's rotating. 2017, he's good. 2017, he's one of the best defensive line. He's the best defensive lineman in the Big Ten. And then 2018, he plays two and a half games and he never plays again. So I guess you can't be perfect. No, 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 no. You can. I think you can still keep that guy on because he made it very clear his first year in the NFL that. He would have been the best player in the country had he not had an abdomen injury. Not no, but doesn't that count? I don't think two and a half games. His last year, he played two and a half games, and he was wrecking things in those two and a half games. I think he can. I think in that scenario, because you had seen enough, you could give that one a pass. But because if you're saying I want this guy's I but there's a lot of things out of control. I took Julian Julian yeah. Fleming can't ever make this list a lot because he was hurt. It's not his fault. But like yeah. if you said if you said to Pantone, here's the pixie dust, you can sprinkle Von Bell's career or Garrett Wilson's career on any five star coming in. Would you sprinkle Nick Bosa's career on that five star? Would you sprinkle Nick Bosa's career on Jack Sawyer? And it includes playing two and a half games your junior year? Like probably not. So I know Fair. what you're saying. I you had don't him get on the payoff though. Yeah, you don't get the I mean, you had all that build up and then I get the payoff. That's fine. That's fine. So it just depends how you view it. I had him on initially, yeah. but then I was second guessing it because I sort of hadn't thought of like how his, how his junior year ended. But again, not his fault. But the path, right? I mean, boom, out yeah. the door in 2016. He's here as a freshman being like, yep, that's it. That's what mm-hmm. you're looking for. 2017, Jeff Okuda and Chase Young. Yep. Both roles, right? Both growing in year two, both All-American quality in year three. And then they're the second and third picks in the draft. Chase more so than Jeff. Chase got to it quicker, right? But even Chase wasn't, I mean, was dealing with the two ankle sprains as a sophomore, was only the fifth guy in the rotation as a freshman. But a lot of it is see it in year one. Like he plays enough to be like, not that he's maybe changing the team, but it's like, oh yeah, we're Mm -hmm. seeing it. And then boom, boom, in year two and three. So I do think Chase hits it pretty well. Then Garrett. And then the other two guys that I have on the list for this, these are the seven of the 28 are Travion and JT. And Jack is like a little short of it because JT's role has been bigger, more consistently, even though Jack seems to be working in more the last couple of weeks. Travion is almost, is almost too good because it's like, oh, so what's the perfect arc for a five-star? It's like, I don't know, coming in year one and, have people talking about whether you should be a Heisman candidate for a national championship contender, save the backfield. Like that's like, it's almost too good, but it's interesting. And I'm not, I'm not assuming that Trivion won't continue to trend up, but like JK who was just missed being a five-star, but JK Dobbins is not quite it because JK's trend line was not all the way up for three years. It was way up, then down, then way back up. So I'm not putting that on Trivion at all, but it's almost like, Travion's is so exceptional 
I almost can't count it as perfect because it's almost better than perfect. Like what? Say he does this and then he wins a Heisman in the next two years. It's like, my God, the guy's like a comet. How could you, how could you expect that of anybody else? Where Garrett's, Garrett's doesn't seem impossible to duplicate, Nathan, right? Which is why I almost feel like it fits it more because of all these, right? Nick had the injury. I mean, Vaughn's pretty close, but he wasn't a first round pick. Chase is probably the closest. So I was going to say the two perfect paths. It probably would be Chase Young defensively and Garrett Wilson offensively. But Travion's, I, I just don't even know how you could use it as an example because it is so, so exceptional if he continues trending up, if you know what I mean. But Garrett makes sense. And the reason I asked you that clarifying question way back at the beginning, are we talking about the perfect or are we talking about a perfect? Because Chase Young is the one that immediately come to mind and included too. But Young almost like, almost like breaks the scale, right? Like a Heisman Trophy finalist as a defensive player, like someone who was continuing this line of great play, but then also was so great his last year that he almost redefined that. Like he, he came closer to, to just like sort of making it hard to compare anybody to them. But I, but you're right about Wilson. And I think what's the most intriguing thing about Wilson, what maybe makes him the more perfect, not maybe to get ahead of something you were going to talk about was just, how he will then get used as an example to draw in the next Garrett Wilson. Right. And has already, but yes. Uh, Yeah. I think Travion might be closer to Garrett than he is chase because yes, chase was a Heisman. The the peak was crazy, all that stuff, but he didn't play in the Penn state game in 2017, Like he didn't play any snaps in that very important game. Garrett Wilson was playing in important games as a true freshman. Like, I remember the first, like, big play they had in the Clemson game. Ben Victor, Chris Olave, and K.J. Hill started in that game. But the first time they wanted to do something big, in that first drive, they took Ben Victor off the field and they put Garrett out there, and then the helicopter catch was born. So I think in that – I mean, Travion, right now, that kid's going to be doing important things and important games for them. Chase wasn't doing that. So I do think – Garrett is more of the outlier in this five-star conversation than what Chase is. Chase just had a really, really high ceiling. So I almost think that Garrett is the perfect middle between Garrett as a freshman is the perfect middle between Chase and Travion because Chase as a freshman was too blocked. He had four all big 10 quality guys ahead of him and he couldn't get past him. He was the fifth guy. Travion as a freshman is not blocked enough. Because, frankly, they should have a little better guys ahead of him and that they should not be like, oh, God, well, the freshman's got to run 25 times a game. Right. Because Mm -hmm. that's not ideal. He came. He entered a a vacuum where they had missed in recruiting at, at running back. And so he's taking advantage of that. Garrett, as a freshman, had older guys ahead of him, but they weren't so good that they blocked him as much as Nick Bosa and Sam Hubbard and Tyquan Lewis and Jalen Holmes block chase because it's Austin Mack and Ben Victor and KJ Hill and Chris Olave, but there's room, right? There's room for Garrett. There wasn't enough room for chase in year one. There's almost too much room for Travion in year one and Garrett's in the middle, which again, leads me back to Steven. Like again, as you're, I, cause yeah. I think it's, you want the path to be both exceptional, exceptional, but duplicative. Yeah, that it was special, but somebody else could follow it. 
And that's where I think Garrett fits in as almost a prime example of this. And what it means is you want the freshman year to kind of build where you're not playing much. You're clearly second fiddle at the beginning of the year. But by the end of the year, when it matters, after you've gotten used to being out there, you're ready to go. You're ready to go help this team go try to win a national title. And then you really take off as a sophomore and you're out the window in year two, in year three. Here's what I'm envisioning. And Pantone, if you're listening, I would like to see this on your office wall within the month. You know, like the, ev- the evolution of man thing, right? Where it's like you start off or whatever, and there's a guy walking, and then it's, a, I don't know, it's like a Neanderthal guy, and then you're more, right? And it's like the evolution, it's like the evolution of the five-star recruit. And you start off and you're a five-star recruit, and then in, as a freshman, you do this, and as a sophomore, you do this, and as a junior, you do this. And then you're gone to the first round of the NFL draft. If Pantone put that on his wall and said, this is what we want for you, national recruit X, who is here at Ohio State visiting, I think the guy you'd put up there, the guy on the wall would be Garrett Wilson. Because it's not Trevion Henderson where it's like, here's what we want for you. We want you to be the best player in America as a freshman. It's like, what are you talking about? Don't blow smoke, right? That's not realistic. But it's like, do we want you to have 30 catches for 342 yards? It was three, 30 catches for 432 yards as a freshman. However, that translates to any position. That's realistic to me, Nathan. That's not blowing smoke. That's not, oh, man, I can't get on the field. And then in year two, it's 43 for 723. And in year three, it's 53 for 813. You go from 30.9 receiving yards as a freshman to 90.4 as a sophomore, now to 90.3 as a junior, and you're this. That I think that's the chart you'd show any prospective guy. Yes, but it gets tricky because if an exact clone of Garrett Wilson had come in this fall, he wouldn't be playing ahead of the current Garrett Wilson. Well, I mean, like, no. (laughs) So you know what I'm saying? Like, you, it's harder to right now at receiver, it's harder to sell that freshman vision. No, I, uh, I agree with that. And a, an exact clone of Garrett might have come in and he's returning kicks and then like waiting his chance, yeah, yeah. right? That's, that's the key the there is that so, maybe so, the, the – go ahead, David. No, but that, that, that's basically the thought. Like it's – I understand what you're saying, and I think that's how you draw those guys here, but it's hard to sell the freshman impact right now because they are so talented. But some of that was the Alave thing throwing things off somewhat. I think next year, like I said before – this might get a little bit more rotate. It might make more sense for this to get a little bit more rotational. But to, to, to the point of Emeka's on kick return, I do think that you can sell, have an impact as a freshman, but we're not going to sit here and guarantee you it's going to be as a wide receiver. But, but here's the thing. But again, we're talking about uh, cross positions. It's just an example, right? A level yeah. of contribution. I think JT Tuimaloau is right on the Garrett Wilson path. Yeah. Because what we're talking about, he has guys in front of him but I think Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith and Javante Jean-Baptiste, right? They're all very good players, but they're not blocking him as much as Nick Bosa, Jalen Holmes, Sam Hubbard, and Tyquan Lewis were blocking Chase Young. They're a little more like Ben Victor, Austin Mack, right, Stephen? Like, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's, the, it's the level. Yeah. But it's also not Travion Henderson where they're not telling JT, hey, man, can you play 70 snaps because we don't really have anybody else we trust? He has a significant role, but they're not demanding that he carry them. So I think like you could have shown when JT 
was making his decision in the summer and going around the country. If Mark Pantone would have pointed to the Garrett Wilson chart on his wall, JT could have been like, yeah, actually, that's that sounds really good to me. And that's what's happening right now. That's it, they don't not do that. There is a part of this that's like, look at what the room is as a freshman. There's a chance for you to build yourself in the playing time. Now, JT's had to come a little bit earlier because guys kept getting injured. So all of a sudden he's starting in year, week three. But the idea I'm throwing Jack in this, the idea that those two are your second, your, your second line defensive ends isn't crazy, which is what it should be as a five star. And then more importantly, you should be able to show a five star Here's what the death chart looks like in your in their second year. Your name goes here and it should just and that's where it's going to be. Zach and Tyreek are probably gone, which means there's an opening for JT and Jack to both be starters next year. So they're on the path. I think JT and or Jack Sawyer could be all Americans next year. Now, I'm not predicting that, but I think they'll have opportunity. I think they have inherent talent. They are being developed by an elite position coach. And they'll have opportunity in year two at a team that will be trying to win a national championship. So again, I think, you know, could they be all Americans this year? No, they can't. There's too many guys, right? They get to play, but they can't be an all American. Trevor Henderson might be an all American, but how can you promise a true freshman that? So that's why I just think, I think this is it. And, and Steven, and I know Nathan, you were out there doing something special. We'll, we'll talk a little about what Nathan's working on. He wasn't in there when Garrett Wilson was talking today, but Steven, when Garrett said, it's been everything I wanted at Ohio state and more. I like all this was in my, like, right. That's what popped in my head. Cause I believe it. Cause I think, I think you can see how it's fit together. The player who's basically made it clear that nobody lied to him in the recruiting process about how this is going to go one for his own personal development, but then also just how things were going to work around here. I mean, it's been said plenty of times now. I've written it. Plenty of other people have written it. Ryan Day went down there to Austin and basically told him, listen, we're going to throw the ball here. We're going to do this. We're actually going to develop you as a wide receiver. You're not just going to be blocking for four years or three years or whatever, how many, how long he was going to be here. You're actually going to get to play wide receiver. And we've seen it gradually. I mean, obviously it was extreme with Dwayne, but we've actually seen it get kind of back to that now in year three where you've got three really elite wide receivers and guess what? They're throwing the ball around. And so, yes, the development standpoint of we promise you as a five-star recruit, we're going to develop you into a first round pick. That's what a five-star wants to know. But then also we promise you we're actually going to use your five-star ability and not just toss you off to the wayside, especially at that position where you could easily just turn into the next Michael Thomas. And I do think sometimes I get aggravated. I get less aggravated now than I used to. What's the point of being aggravated? which is hard to believe. This is me less aggravated. Sometimes we love to write stories about people who make mistakes in their lives and they come back from their mistakes and every now and then I'm like, well, what about the person who never made a horrible mistake? And they just kind of did the right thing sort of all the time. What about them? Where's like good person does good things constantly. Where's that feature? So this is a little bit what this is, because I do think sometimes in recruiting, Trevor Lawrence is the number one recruit in the country. He becomes the starter midway through his freshman year, he leads his team to a national title. He's the starter in year two and year three. And then he's the first pick in the draft. He's the top of the top of the top, right? And then mm. there's all the stories everybody loves to tell about the two stars and the zero stars and the three stars. Ha ha, C stars don't matter. I get it. You found the exception. Wonderful. But everybody loves to write those. So Garrett Wilson's not Trevor Lawrence. He's not. He's not going to win the Heisman. He's not going to be, he's not going to win any receiver awards. 
He wasn't the number one recruit in the country. He was number 20, according to 247 Sports. But he's in between. He's certainly closer to Trevor Lawrence than the zero-star guy. But I just want to – I like pointing out the things that work how they're supposed to work, but perhaps not super spectacularly or not overcoming something that went wrong. It was just like, oh, no, that actually went according to plan. And sometimes we don't do enough of that. So also, I just – want Garrett Wilson to be my football professor, but you know what I'm saying, Nathan, right? I mean, don't we do that sometimes? Yeah, absolutely. It's, and it, I think those other stories need to be written about too, because oftentimes there's something very unique about them. Actually, you can't be very unique, something unique about them. Uh, and th- those stories deserve to be told, but uh, the Garrett Wilson story to tell it is takes a little bit more nuance. Cause you're right. It's just, it's the guy shows up and has been, and it, the way you would have drawn his career out is exactly what's happened. There's really been no stumble off of the path that everyone I think would have expected for him the day he signed. All right, Stephen, we'll give you last word on Garrett Wilson. Have we, have we covered the aspects of that we want to cover? And by the way, this is like a 5,000 word feature in December, getting ready for Ohio State's playoff game or bowl game. And we just dropped it on a Wednesday on a podcast during Michigan State week because that's what you get. It's a bonus. Go find someone else doing this podcast this week. Nobody's doing it. We're dropping it on you because uh, we just felt like doing it. But I just think it's 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 the machine in action, both sides of the ball. Steven, last word on your guy. I feel like this has been Garrett Wilson Wednesday. This is dropping on a Wednesday. That's why I said Wednesday, because we've just done 45 minutes on him on a pod, which just brings so much joy to my soul. Hmm. I mean, we just did a we did a video on him that's like six minutes long. More joy to my soul. So, you know, it's Garrett Wilson Wednesday. He born. I called in the video. I called him boring good, and that's what he's been here. He's been boring good because he did what he was supposed to do here, and it's worked out for everybody involved. And I will say that Garrett Wilson was asked a question on Tuesday about C.J. Stroud as a Heisman candidate, and he gave a very nice answer about C.J. Stroud. And then I said, "What about you?" as a Heisman candidate. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, no, 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 no. It's got to be the quarterback. And then we went out in the hall afterward. I followed him out. And I just said, you know, I already wrote after the game that you should be a Heisman <laughs> candidate. He's like, oh, cool. Thanks, man. So I was like, I'm, I'm asking the question. I'm asking for your permission to deem you a Heisman candidate, but I already did it four days ago. So even the fact that you didn't give me permission too late, it's out there. Not that it's going to you know, do Journalism, it. baby. <laughs> you know what they never say? Yeah, I read that. No, he did give us a shout-out to 11 Warriors today. Garrett Wilson, someone said something, and Garrett Wilson was like, yeah, I saw that 11 Warriors. And we were like, damn you, Dan Hope. (laughs) Dan Hope getting all the love, as usual. God, if I hear another person talk about how great Dan Hope is. Everybody loves Dan Hope. He does a great job. No, but he did not say, I read that on Cleveland.com. Oh, well, he maybe he'll said. say, maybe, maybe next, maybe next time we'll talk to him. He'll say, oh, I did listen to Garrett Wilson Wednesday on Buckeye Talk. I always, is it too thirsty to tag him when we tweet the show out? He follows me on Twitter, so he's going to see it. Okay, let's do when that. I tweet about it. Garrett, if we're listening, Professor Football, the nickname is there for the taking. All right, we're going to come back and just see if there's anything else worth talking about. Maybe not next on Buckeye Talk. So we're going to get into this Michigan State game more on the Thursday and Friday pods. We're going to have Matt Wenzel, the MLive beat writer for Michigan State, who will join us on the game preview pod on Friday. So that'll be important. And it is senior week. 
senior day on Saturday. We have a bunch of guys who are going to be walking through. We'll talk about that more on Thursday. There's a couple interesting names like Nicholas Petit Frere is going to walk on senior day. And it's like, hmm, I wonder if he's coming back for a fifth year. So, but we thought that anyway. So we'll talk about the people who will be playing their final home games in Ohio Stadium in this Michigan State game. And then I really would like us to, you know what? I think it might be draft time on Thursday again. How about we draft most guys most difficult to replace for next year? Could we do that draft? Could we go like we each pick three guys or something? We'll go through and that'll give us a way to talk about the people who are finishing up and then who we think is going to fill in next year. But we're going to dig in on Michigan State, Kenneth Walker III and that kind of thing. Um, Nathan, what did we think from Ryan Day? We kind of say, sort of came out of Ryan Day saying like, okay, I mean, there wasn't as much there. I, I did – he mentioned a couple times the idea of like – he said it after the game and he said it again on Tuesday that they practiced with an edge last week. And it's one of those things where it is like the ups and downs of a season. And again, whatever people were saying about, oh man, I don't know if they played great against Nebraska. They felt it themselves. They didn't have an edge because they, as clearly as we found out, they don't read Cleveland.com. That's not why they had an edge because everybody was saying like, why did you only score 26? They had an edge because they, they felt it and they saw it themselves on film and they knew they weren't playing to their standard. So then Nathan, I'm sometimes I'm like, okay, well you got the edge back last week and then you played great, especially offensively. So do you lose the edge this week or do you keep the edge? But I did, I thought it was interesting that Ryan Day brought it up again. Well, and it's not the first time this season we've heard that message, right? Like we heard it coming out of Oregon, even out of Tulsa, where they had some guys went up in front of the team and said, hey, this isn't the Ohio State standard. Are you doing everything you need to be doing? Are you holding yourself to a higher standard? So that theme has kind of been in the background all season. That's probably more um, understandable in a year where they have to play this many young guys, although they're not so young anymore. I mean, we're 10 games into this. But you know what I'm saying? Like, there is still – this isn't a bunch of seniors um, across the board that are doing this. There's a lot of freshmen, a lot of sophomores, a lot of second-year freshmen, that sort of thing, that are contributing here. So it that, I guess, makes a little bit more sense to me. I, but I feel the same way you do, too. It's like, well, okay, you got that back. You got that edge back. But how do you sustain it? Because yeah. if you thought Purdue was tough, I think these next two teams – I know – I know Purdue beat Michigan State, but I mean, it certainly doesn't get easier these next two weeks. And then you got a Big Ten championship game if you pass these first two, and then you've got a playoff after that if you keep winning. So you can't, it, what I think we've probably seen is that without this edge, something's missing, right? Was something was, when they came out of talking about Nebraska and talking about getting an edge back, that tells me you, you've got to find that if you want to keep winning. Was Ohio do you think Ohio State got bored? But I mean, like they were, they should have been bored for a month, but then they played Penn State and that should have unboard them, I think, a little bit. But, like Penn State has a good defense. But as we, exactly, it's Penn State. And we kind of said, because I think we did a video, was this Penn State win a good win when you only win 33 to 24? I think it's, yeah, because it's Penn State. They're going to play you tough all the time. So they just kind of, just like we did, maybe this young team chalked it up to that was only close because Penn State plays us tough. We'll get back to the 54 to 7 wins 
against Nebraska next week. And then that didn't happen. And then what you have to do with young teams, sometimes you have to remind them that you can't just turn this switch on and off because one day you're going to try to flip it on. It's not going to come on and you're going to lose a football game. And so maybe that's what I think. I think the Nebraska game did more for this team psyche than the Penn State game did because the Penn State game is just what it was. Almost losing to Nebraska kind of reset some things there. So maybe like mentally, not necessarily from a skill standpoint, but just mentally, especially when you have a coach who keeps trying to compare the second half to the season, the March Madness. Maybe, but this team isn't thinking about a loss in terms of a theory. This team felt a loss. This team experienced a loss. And that alone, I would think, would ramp up the urgency from on a week-to-week basis. What It, it makes every, especially a game that might be um, – competitive like i i would think that that would, would ramp up that urgency for any game like that unless just, as a young player you didn't think the nebraska game was going to be as competitive as it was for four quarters it's just hard because it's like you know i ripped nebraska for like it's yeah. not gonna be a game nebraska stinks and then ohio state plays that close and then i was like i don't know purdue's got a little something and then ohio state blows them out and it's like well I think the sentiments were correct. I just had them flipped on the weeks, right? That the idea of like, well, how dare you overlook Nebraska? It's like, I don't know. They they did whatever they wanted against Purdue for like offensively for 45 minutes. And that was a ranked team. That's kind of what I thought they were going to do against Nebraska. It's like, well, why did you think Purdue was going to play them close? It's like, I don't know. Because Purdue's played no, top five teams coach all year. And, yeah. ne- I, and Nebraska's nuts. And Nebraska is is like, I don't even, Nebraska's program is falling apart and they played them close, right? So it is, the, it's the ebbs and flows are there, Stephen, but sometimes you catch it opposite. Like I was totally opposite. When they when I thought they'd be down, when I thought they'd be up, they were kind of down. When I thought they'd be down, they were kind of up. But the end result was the last two weeks, they had a game they were kind of up for, and they had a game they kind of weren't up for. And now we have to decide what that means for Michigan State. And you hear, I mean, some, Day has actually said this a lot this year. It's the one things with young teams, you got to remember that, like, you can't, like, take a week off because you'll lose if you do that. And I, you're talking about how you were dismissing Nebraska. You don't think some 19 and 20 year old kids who had just been blowing teams out for a couple of weeks weren't doing that at sometimes? You know what? I think they do listen to this podcast. I think guys in that locker room, yeah. like uh, Doug said, Nebraska stinks. I don't even think we have to pay attention. And then all of a sudden that happens. Okay. We're going to get into like this. There's Nathan, there's some Kenneth Walker. I'm going to watch some more Michigan State tape because there's some Kenneth Walker the third stuff that I am not sure about. And I do not have a conclusion yet on exactly how good he is, exactly how good their offensive line is, and exactly how much of a problem Ohio State's defense might have with that. I almost, this is going to sound like, I almost want to watch the linebackers for Ohio State from the last couple weeks and try to watch them read keys and anticipate run plays. And are they in the right gaps? And are they reacting to things correctly? Because I just feel like that's what this game's going to come down to, right? If you're in the wrong gap or you take one bad angle and you, you know, you're late. We saw some of that in Michigan in the Oregon game, Nathan, right? Where there were moments where it looked like some of the linebackers looked frozen for half a second. And it's like, oh, well, that's why that wide zone hit for 20 yards, because the linebacker who could have made the play hesitated for a moment and it was out the door. And I'm I'm very curious about that kind of stuff, but I need to get a better handle on it. But don't that it feels like that's a thing for this week. 
I mean, there, there's so many interesting things going on on the offensive side of the ball with this team right now, from the 3,000-yard receivers to everything we talked about with Garrett Wilson to C.J. Stroud might be that he's the betting favorite for the Heisman on multiple sites now to what Trayvon Henderson's doing to this offensive line. But I am fascinated by this team defensively this week. I think this this game is going to potentially tell us a lot about how far this defense has come this year. And I came in today planning to ask Ryan day defensive questions. We wanted, you know, he wanted to see the film and react after that. So, you know, what did he think of the defense? And, you know, he was asked today, not by me, but by someone else about this, this idea of dropping, uh, you know, rushing forward, dropping seven and dropping eight at times. And he's like, well, that that makes sense. It gives teams another look, but you have to execute it. And we didn't execute it well. So it was further confirmation that I don't think anybody at Ohio State thought they played very well defensively. But I also was also kind of throwing that out because it's like, well, that's not what you're going to have to do against Michigan State. It's this completely other thing. And uh, I, I'm, I'm really intrigued by what they look like as far as all the stuff you're talking about, that that second level, the linebackers and, and this defensive line. Is this defensive line getting off blocks and plugging up those um, those running lanes, who are they using on the defensive line and in what rotation, like who's getting more of the snaps up front? Cause that seems like kind of a, a fluid situation over the past few weeks. So, I mean, I'm not, this is just a week that I think tells us a lot about whether Ohio state, how, how what progress they really have made since Minnesota and Oregon. Cause they, this is the closest thing to a Minnesota or Oregon style offense that they've played since then. And I want to, I will end up the offensive side of the ball and then we'll get out of here. Ryan Day, I thought, did confirm that he thought the offensive line played well. He talked specifically about they were clean, and he said that a lot. That and it was they they didn't. And when I rewatched it, they didn't miss assignments. They didn't let free blitzers through. Mm-hmm. They weren't confused. And he talked about their combo blocks. They had com- some problems on combo blocks the last couple of weeks, where a guy would make a block, and the the one guy would get to would leave that guy to go and make a second level block. And then the other guy who was supposed to stay on that defender would let him go. And there were guys mm-hmm. getting into the backfield, not because they were winning one-on-one matchups, but because there was a miscommunication that, that Ohio State would wind up with two linemen letting a defensive lineman go. And they didn't have any of that. So Ryan Day and, and Steven, I think they all graded his chance. I think every single, yeah. all six, right? Matt, down to Matthew mm-hmm. Jones as well, which was real, which I think is, again, you can learn bits and pieces from the champions list. And I thought that that was important. And then I thought one of the other things was Steven, you asked Ryan day a question. Hey, Mayan Williams getting that fourth series of the game. Is that what you want to do going forward in giving Trevor Henderson a breather? And his answer was basically like, yes. Nope. <laughs> like there was no more answer to it. Cause it was like, <laughs> you explained it. And he was like, that is correct, sir. Which yes. again is just confirmation because that's not exactly what they had been doing before. It was clear what they did against Purdue. It worked. It's reasonable. And Steven, it's confirmation. It's a plan. Yes. Can you imagine yeah, no. if that's all this podcast was is me asking 800 word questions. And then you guys just lean into the microphone and say, yes. <laughs> like he made it hard to cut. Like I, my follow-up wasn't going to be how do they compliment each other, but he answered all of what I wanted to ask him <laughs> one in a simple yes. And I'm like, oh, I can't just ask one question. What kind of newbie would I be? But yeah, everybody, the two running backs you want the player healthy, so now they can do this. And there's and there's a role. There's a role right. for that second back, which had been a little dicey at times. We'll get out of here on this, Nathan. Somebody on Twitter asked this. We probably had some texters ask it too. 
the Texas question. I mean, I don't know if everybody listening to this knows what we're talking about. <laughs> Sports writers are drunk, man. But at Steve Sarkeesian's news conference at Texas, a sports writer asked like a 58 second question that was like me and my friend were had a problem one time. And my friend said, how would extraordinary people solve this? So, Steve, I know that you are an extraordinary person and your staff is filled with people I would call a coaching juggernauts. So now and it was just like. Yeah, it was ridiculous. So first of all, the question took like a minute. I couldn't get through the whole thing. The first time I tried to watch it, I became like almost like physically ill and had to stop watching it. It was awful. And it takes, so the first thing is like a minute. So really the first rule of press conference questions, if you can't beat the 35 second shot clock, you shouldn't ask the question. And actually 35 might be pushing it. Yeah. But if you, certainly if you can't beat the 35 second clock, don't ask the question. Secondly, the whole thing he said at the beginning about me and my friend and like that was completely bullcrap. Like it's one of those those stories that like a preacher tells during a sermon of like, ah, here's here's a little it's like a parable, but it completely yeah. clearly never actually happened. He never had that conversation. He's this it's a figment <laughs> of his imagination. It was just a way for him to tell the most butt kissing question in college football in 2021. And I think that's probably saying something. So um yeah, I mean, I we don't come on here and like bloviate that much about just losers in the media, but I I couldn't I I, I think it's indefensible that that person is allowed to have a credential, let alone ask questions. That question definitely sounded better than his head. One hundred percent, he thought he one hundred percent thought he was going to get the answer of the year, and he and he, and Steve Sarkeesian was going to say some morality and cry. And when, and then five years from now, when Texas wins a national title, they're just going to be replaying the answer to that question throughout the, the 40 acres. That's exactly what he was thinking in the back of his head. But whoever asked that question walked out of there with his chest puffed Hi. out, like nose what? in yes. the air. Like that guy thought he nailed it. And if you guys don't exactly know what we're talking about, just Google Texas question and you'll find the right thing. It was almost if like the guy had said, Steve, there were two sets of footprints in the sand, Mm. your footprints (laughs) and the Texas football program's footprints. And then there was only one set of footprints. And that's when you were carrying the program. It wasn't that far (laughs) off. It it didn't have like direct religious overtones, but it sounded like the made up stories that your preacher tells to fit in with his lesson that week. That's exactly people go listen to it. That's the first thing I thought of was like, this guy has, this guy goes to church every Sunday morning. I'll give him that. And the thing that people maybe don't understand is that, well, actually, I think most sports writers understand this. People in sports, coaches and players don't actually want you to blow smoke up their butts. They don't think it's cool. (laughs) They would rather have a fight with you than have you kiss their butt in your question in a way that is so despicable as Nathan said it. So if you think you're ingratiating yourself with somebody by blowing smoke for 35 seconds, they appreciate a hard, tough question more and then go have a fight in the hallway and then work it out. And then you'll come out the other side. They completely use, lose respect for you. And you're not, they're not representing anybody. You're not representing the fans by blowing that smoke. Even the biggest Homer, let that fan be a homer. Fans can be fans. Don't do that. You don't do that. Be better than that. I would argue that the last like 15, 20 seconds of that question had value. Like, can you take us inside 
and you're never going to get that great of an answer about this anyway in an open press conference. But hey, you guys like the the place is a little bit on fire right now, right? How are you putting it out? Can you take us like step by step? Like, what are the most urgent things that you are doing this week to stop this 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 flood of crap that's rolling through the hallways right now after you just lost to Kansas, who hadn't? I, I had this in in um in madness. Kansas hadn't lost, hadn't won a conference road game since about a month before Barack Obama was elected for the first time until they went to Kent, Texas last week. I just don't understand. Like there aren't that many things that you're going to use a press conference, especially a press conference like that for you're either getting some type of confirmation. You're trying to get information on something or you're looking for a quote for your story. I don't know what the purpose of that question was. No, genuinely like you. And usually you can tell by the way somebody sets up their question. Okay. This is what they're doing here. I'm not sure what I'm supposed what I'm supposed to be looking forward to reading based off that question. And I do believe I believe in the well-placed softball question. If there is a difficult news conference where somebody is yeah. getting bombarded with tough mm-hmm. questions, rightly so. But if they're taking seven tough questions in a row and you think you're on the verge of losing them, that they're just going to shut off their brain and get defensive and not give you anything, then I think you can throw a softball in there to try to reel them back in. And I also believe in a long question if you are trying to cut the legs out of a cliched answer, that you put the cliche in the question. Mm. I know you guys are work are getting after it every day. I know that whatever. She's like, So please don't say that in the answer. I want a real answer. But that wasn't it, brother. So I don't know who that guy was. I was trying to figure out who it was. Not that I would name shame him, but just for my own personal information. Somebody will find it, I'm sure. But go find bad journalism happening in Texas. Also bad football, though. Yeah. Is it, was the, <laughs> the question it matches was, up. Yeah. The question was not worse than losing to Kansas. It was still the worst thing that happened in Texas football this week was losing to Kansas. The second worst thing was that question. All right. We'll be back with big pods later in the week. Thanks for you guys for making Buckeye Talk part of your Ohio State experience. Read cleveland.com slash Buckeye Talk. Nathan, you're working on a big Mel Tucker story, which will be informative. He's from Cleveland. He's a former Ohio State assistant. It's not like we do gigantic features on opposing coaches all the time, but this is the first time that Mel Tucker, who grew up in Cleveland, coach for Ohio State, coach for the Browns, is coming to Ohio Stadium leading a different team was kind of a big deal. How's that going so far? Yeah. Uh, I talked to Jim Tressel today for this article, which is why I ducked out and didn't get to hear uh, professor football and, and Zach Harrison, but um, I'm just trying to kind of get a, a little bit, uh, just what, what kind of makes him tick and, and why he has been able to step in at Michigan state. What about him beyond? Yes. They use the transfer portal, but I think it's, it's not that simple because it's not like they went out and got a bunch of five stars to transfer in. You know what I mean? Like it's still, it's still the Michigan state caliber players, not that different than what they had before. So what is it about Mel Tucker that is, that um, allows him has helped him solve these problems and has led him to this point where he's been able to kind of catapult them into such relevance in the Big Ten after they were trending away from that relevance for a handful of years now. And I grabbed uh, Gene Smith in the hallway after the news conference on Tuesday, and he and I had a discussion about scheduling. And we were sort of talking about the idea that the SEC has this plan where their teams play a non-conference game late in the year. It's kind of like a week off almost. Alabama had it last week against New Mexico State. And why the Big Ten doesn't do that. And we were sort of talking about the philosophy of where you put your easy game, what he 
thinks you get out of that, why you do it, why you don't do it, what he doesn't want out of a schedule. And there's actually something that's happening next year on the schedule that he's not a huge fan of, but they didn't have a choice. And so I'm going to write that sometime this week. And when I do, I'll let you guys know. But we got a lot of stuff working. we got recruiting stuff going on. Basketball season has started. If you guys didn't find it in the feed, Stephen and I did a whole basketball podcast that dropped on Tuesday. If you care about the basketball Buckeyes, make sure you listen to that. We'll let you go for Stephen, for Nathan. I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>